1: Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Catherine Eagle, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dog joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Listener, I've watched this video, and honestly... It's 20 minutes well spent. The health of my animals means everything to me. This stuff has improved the coats and energy of mine, and they love it. Normally they are picky with food, but they really enjoy this stuff. Go to badlandsfood.com obscura and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S- FOOD.com slash Obscura. Welcome, listener. I'm glad you're here. Take a seat next to the fire. Welcome to Obscura,
0: where we shine a light on the dark.
1: Listener, today's story is something a little different. Our protagonist didn't set out to hurt somebody else. He didn't harm innocent people. He didn't snap in the heat of the moment and do something shocking that can't be undone. There was no violent crime of passion or cold blooded premeditation. In the United States, over 900,000 people work in the aviation industry. So that's a considerable amount of people in whom we place a great amount of trust to help keep us safe in the air. What you'll hear about today baffled and disturbed both the public and the loved ones of the person concerned in equal measure. It also raised serious questions over both the security of our airports and the need to monitor the well-being of airline employees. If you were near SeaTac Airport or Catron Island in Puget Sound, In the state of Washington, on August 10, 2018, and looked into the sky, you may have seen what appeared to be a one-man air show, and in a way, it was. A plane was flying low, performing turns and aerial maneuvers that only experienced pilots are able to execute after many hours of specialized training. You may have thought you'd probably see it on the news the following day and find out what it was all about. In that regard, you'd be right." But what was going on behind the scenes was not what happened during the average organized flying demonstration. The way that the events of that summer evening unfolded for one regional US airline was something that no one saw coming. Except for maybe one person. Now, let's get on with it. Part 1 Clear Skies Ahead
2: Hi, I'm Biba Russell and I'm a ground service agent. That means I lift a lot of bags. Like, a lot of bags. So many bags. Look at all them bags. Ooh, a purple one. I usually have to work outside in this. But it allows me to do some pretty cool things, too. Most importantly, I get to visit those
1: I love most.
2: It evens out in the end.
1: Richard Russell was born on September 19, 1989, in Key West, in the state of Florida. When Richard was seven years old, his family moved about as far away from Florida as you could get without leaving the country, relocating over 8,000 miles northwest to the Alaskan town of Wasilla. Richard seemed to take the move in stride, and as a kid, enjoyed spending time with his friends playing video games, camping, and building forts in the woods surrounding the town. He was close to his sister Mary, and the siblings both attended Wasilla High School, where Richard wrestled, played fullback on the school's football team, competed in discus track and field, and became known as a good-natured class clown. Richard's team coaches remember him as a respectful student and a team player. Known as Bebo to his friends and family, beneath his veneer as a joker was someone who also had a deep and abiding love for people in general but especially those close to him. Richard not only had a reputation as a true empath, but as a sensitive listener. During high school, Richard was known for hosting bonfires where no alcohol was served, offering an alternative for those who felt peer pressured into drinking at parties. In one instance, as reported by Kiro 7 News, the sister of a friend of Richard's had a car accident that saw her end up in a ditch. Richard stayed with his friend's sister to keep her calm and reassure her until her family arrived. He was also active in his church and a leader in the local Christian youth ministry, Young Life, where he helped troubled kids. He went out of his way to be there for others in need, and in one instance provided support to help a high school student escape an abusive situation. For Richard, nothing was too much trouble for people who needed a helping hand. Richard graduated from high school in 2008, and his love of football continued as he played a season of Valley City State University in North Dakota. In 2010, he met his wife Hannah, who had grown up in Washington State. The pair met at a Campus Crusade for Christ meeting at Southwestern Oregon Community College in Coos Bay, where Hannah also attended the Oregon Coast Culinary Institute. The young couple married in January 2012, and started a bakery in North Bend, Oregon, in March, only a month following their wedding. In a feature article on their bakery, the Coos Bay World newspaper reported that while Hannah was the more detail-oriented of the couple, Richard was the entrepreneurial, big-picture guy, whose goal was to test the limits of his imagination when it came to creating new pastries. As a nod to Richard and Hannah's strong Christian faith, a Bible verse that hung on one wall of the bakery read, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt. In 2015, Richard and Hannah sold the business to allow them to move closer to their families. Richard's family was still in Alaska, but Hannah didn't like the weather, so the couple settled in the city of Sumner in the state of Washington. That same year, Richard enrolled in bachelor's degree in social science at Washington State University, graduating in 2017. Even though he and Hannah had sold their business, the couple didn't lose their passion for baking. Combined with their love of travel, the couple made a point of visiting bakeries everywhere they could on their frequent trips away together. Known for their warmth and kindness, Richard and Hannah enjoyed playing host to other travelers looking for somewhere to stay on a budget. To facilitate this, Richard had an online profile on the travel website Couchsurfing. In the section of his profile entitled One Amazing Thing I've Done, Richard couldn't pick just one thing, so instead he listed the highlights of his many travel adventures. These included a plane ride through the misty fjords in Alaska, road trips through France and Mexico, hiking around Ireland, snorkeling in Florida, and canoeing down the Yukon River. Richard was fascinated by people, had a love of reading nonfiction and the classics and his love of pastries was only matched by that of locally brewed craft beer. Captivated by the natural beauty of the outdoors, one of Richard's goals was to visit every national park in the United States. Part 2. The Ramper Life In 2015, Richard was looking for a job and applied for a customer service role at Horizon Air. He wasn't successful landing the role following his interview, but it wasn't long before he secured a job as a ground service agent for the airline. Commencing operations in 1981, Horizon Air is a regional commercial carrier, which is partnered with Alaskan Airlines. Both are subsidiaries of and operated by the Alaska Air Group which purchased Horizon Air in 1986. At one stage, the airline was the 8th largest regional airline in the U.S., servicing 42 cities across the country and in Canada. The airline now flies to over 100 locations across the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Costa Rica. These destinations are serviced by two types of aircraft operated by the airline. One is the Bombardier-8Q400, which is a high-speed high-wing turboprop that seats 76 passengers. The other is the Embraer E-175 regional jet. Horizon Air is based out of the Seattle-Tacoma International Airport in the state of Washington. With the city of SeaTac itself an inner-ring suburb of Seattle, the name of Transport Hub, which is the largest airport in the Pacific Northwest region of North America, is where Richard worked in his capacity as a ground service agent and is often abbreviated to CTAC. As a ground service agent, Richard's role was to load and unload luggage, tidy aircraft, and walk through planes conducting final inspections. Richard was also responsible for working as part of a two-person team, towing aircraft by a tractor out onto taxiways on the airport apron in preparation for takeoff, in an exercise known as pushback. Richard worked alongside other rampers, which is a term for ground service agents referring to the area between the airport terminal and the taxiway known as the ramp. Being an upbeat and positive guy, Richard made whimsical videos about his job, which he uploaded to YouTube. He also wrote about his job in an online blog that he'd originally created as part of an assignment for a communication subject. In a blog entry from September 2017, he wrote, I never thought I would work as a ground service agent for an airline's company. I always felt bad for the guys and gals who handled luggage. Every time I traveled, I would look out my plane window and see these sullen-looking individuals, leisurely pacing around or hectically throwing bags into a cart. It seemed like such miserable work, and I never could imagine why anyone would want to subject themselves to all the constant noise, gas fumes, and heavy lifting. I would like to dedicate this blog to the life of a ramper, and highlight the remarkable contrast between our work and rest. In the About section of his blog, Richard also wrote about eventually wanting to work at management level for Horizon Air, and also expressed an interest in joining the military. In a YouTube video posted in December 2017, Richard can be seen enjoying himself while taking in the sights as he hiked through Alaska, went skiing in Idaho, and road-tripped his way through Mexico and Europe. Richard took several trips with his friends, but his wife Hannah features in many of his holiday snaps that were posted to social media. Richard loved striking goofy poses for the camera and finding fun everywhere he went. He enjoyed getting back to Alaska to visit his family, so the West Coast location of his job was convenient in that respect. Richard had never shown an interest in learning to fly himself or taken any steps to obtain a pilot's license. Even though Richard's job as a ground service agent didn't pay well, the discounted travel benefits were an upside of the job that he was grateful for. As he said in one of his YouTube videos, Most importantly, I get to visit those I love most. Even though the life of a ground service agent was physically tiring, an operational supervisor for Horizon Air described Richard as A quiet guy who got on well with his co-workers and had a great sense of humor. The pay and conditions left a lot to be desired, but Richard took it in his stride. He posted selfies that he took at work, and on his lunch breaks could often be seen with his head buried in a fiction book. In August 2018, an ex-Horizon era employee by the name of Todd Brunker, who briefly worked alongside Richard, wrote an opinion piece that appeared on Seattle-based website The Stranger. The piece related specifically to the working conditions for ground service agents at the airline from an employee perspective. Todd noted that during his time at Horizon Air, the role of the ground service agent was one that seemed to have a higher turnover than others, resulting in the airline constantly recruiting for new ground staff. When it came to on-site staff amenities, Todd also observed that the break room wasn't adequate to accommodate the amount of ground staff rostered on shift and food was often stolen from the fridge which meant boys then had to fork out to buy overpriced meals from the airport terminal. Another concern was a lack of sufficient locker space for ground staff. This meant that those without a locker reportedly had to leave their protective clothing elsewhere, increasing the risk of theft. Considered in isolation, these factors could be said to simply be minor inconveniences, the type we all have to manage in any job but in a work environment where morale was already reported to be low, it was easy to feel like a number. Missing lunches and a constantly crowded break room aside, the main source of discontent amongst the ground staff at Horizon Air related to wages. Richard was paid thirteen seventy-five dollars an hour, and while it's not known whether he raised this with any of his superiors, it was said to be a common topic of conversation amongst his co-workers. The Anchorage Daily News later reported that SeaTac was the first city in the U.S. to increase its minimum wage to $15 an hour, which included employees of SeaTac Airport, but this didn't apply to the airline staff. And So, in what was said to be a cost-cutting measure on behalf of management, Richard and some of his co-workers continued to be paid less than those working in the terminal who made coffee or worked for car rental companies. In an airline where ground service agents were non-unionized, the contrast between the expectation that ground staff maintain a strong work ethic while being paid less than minimum wage only created further hostility. The benefits of insurance and stock options were lost on many of the Horizon Air ground staff. In his opinion piece on the Stranger website, ex-Horizon employee Todd Brunker noted that in his view, such impractical employee benefits came at a minimal cost to the airline, which in effect made them feel like a hollow gesture, and it wasn't as though Horizon Air or Alaska Air Group were struggling financially. During the time Richard worked for the airline, it was noted by his ex coworker Todd that the Alaska Air Group continued to perform well, and in 2016 acquired 30 aircraft to upgrade their fleet, but none of the company's earnings appeared to make their way into the pockets of their employees who were making less than the minimum wage in SeaTac. Todd observed that when the structure for paying monthly bonuses by Horizon Air was revamped at the same time the fleet was expanded, those employees earning the least appeared to be hardest hit. This only made it even more difficult for ground staff to increase their take-home pay. Taking into account the increase in wages for Horizon pilots and flight crews in 2017, and in Todd's words, It was a morale murderer. Listener, like many of you, I've had to get creative in how I keep up with family. With everything that's going on in the world, I found myself using FaceTime to connect to loved ones more than ever. It's never been more important to stay in touch with everyone in my life. Thanks to StoryWorth, I can feel closer to loved ones, no matter the distance. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with family, especially those you can't see in person. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different story prompts, questions you've never thought to ask, like, has your life turned out differently than you imagined it would? And, what have you changed your mind about over the years? StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. In fact, StoryWorth has already created a powerful experience for me, because it's allowed me to connect with distant relatives in a way I hadn't before. There is no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories, and they make your family feel close, even if you're not together. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all your stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. Give your loved ones the gift of spending time together, wherever you live, with Storyworth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com/obscura. You'll get $10 off your first purchase at storyworth.com/obscura for $10 off. Part 3. Fight of fancy. At 1:35 p.m. on August 10, 2018. A 76-8Q400 Bombardier turboprop landed at SeaTac Airport upon completion of a flight from Victoria, British Columbia. The aircraft wasn't scheduled to depart the airport again that day, and was parked at Plane Cargo One, a cargo and maintenance area at the northern end of the airport. Dash AQ400 are commercial aircraft designed to fly shorter distances, according to the website Aircraft Compare. The purchase price of a Dash 8 Q400 is approximately $32 million. At 2.30 p.m., an hour after the aircraft landed at SeaTac, Richard Russell arrived at SeaTac Airport for a normal work shift and passed through the employee security checkpoint as usual. He commenced his shift, and nothing seemed amiss or out of the ordinary. At around 7.15 p.m. that evening, Richard arrived at Cargo One, the maintenance area where the Dash aq 400 was parked. He was driving a tow tractor. A few minutes later, he climbed inside the aircraft and commenced the sequence to power it on. With the propellers turning, Richard climbed out of the cockpit and back into his tow vehicle, using it to rotate the aircraft 180 degrees and direct the nose of the aircraft towards the airfield. At 7.32 p.m., the aircraft pulled away from its position on the ground making its way along taxiways, and steered towards the thresholds of runway 16L, C and R. Richard got back into the cockpit, a SeaTac air traffic controller noticed the aircraft being lined up at the middle of the three runways, and radioed several times in an attempt to get the pilot to identify himself. Aircraft on Charlie, lining up runway 16C. Say your call sign. But there was no response. The Seattle Times reported that a passenger of a Boeing 737, bound for San Jose, and which was also on the runway, said he felt his aircraft accelerate for takeoff when the pilot slammed on the brakes, causing it to come to a sudden stop halfway down the runway. The pilot of an Alaskan Airlines jet that was also on the ground near the Dash 8 Q400 saw the aircraft begin a takeoff roll, with its wheels smoking. A minute later, it was in the air. SeaTac Air Traffic Control continued to attempt to get the rogue pilot to identify himself, and it soon became apparent that the person flying the plane was Richard. Even though he was a Horizon Air employee, not someone who'd breached airport security, Air Traffic Control was immediately alarmed. Not only was this an unauthorized takeoff, but Richard did not have a pilot's license or any known flying experience. And as air traffic control and other pilots in the area who were on the frequency were to discover, he also had little to no understanding of how to operate parts of the aircraft that are crucial in allowing pilots to maneuver and land safely. While air traffic control attempted to determine how Richard could have got the plane airborne without being discovered, and even why he took off, both Horizon Air and SeaTac Airport took the required steps to follow protocol. And notified the relevant authorities, such as the FAA, FBI, and Homeland Security, of the security breach. This quick response resulted in the FBI's Seattle office releasing a statement soon after Richard made contact with air traffic control, stating that the incident was not terrorist related. The last aviation incident at SeaTac occurred 30 years earlier, in April 1988. (laughs) Do you ever scream your opinions into the abyss hoping i can somehow hear you well now i can i'm going live on the stereo app where you can ask me your questions directly on the app stereo app has thousands of live social conversations with a wide range of genres for every interest including news comedy sports and more you choose whether to be a co-host participate as a guest or simply listen in on exclusive conversations Join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over on the Stereo app. That's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over on the Stereo app. Download the Stereo app and follow us at Stereo.com slash Obscura Crime. We've got great guests like Morticians, 911 Dispatchers, and other true crime podcast hosts. Trust me, we have plenty in store for you. Link in the description. I love Stereo. I'm on the app talking all the time. Follow me and get notified every time I go live. As we take a moment's pause in the middle of our exploration of the dark corners of humanity, let's explore a different kind of mystery, one that takes you back to the roaring 1920s with June's Journey. In this hidden object game, you slip into the role of June Parker, tasked with unraveling the murder mystery of her sister. Each scene is meticulously designed, filled with hidden clues that lead you deeper into a storyline, riddled with danger, romance, and scandalous family secrets. I've personally ventured through the ornate parlors of New York to the charming streets of Paris within this game, each chapter peeling back layers of a complex narrative that's as engaging as it is visually stunning, beyond just solving mysteries. June's Journey invites you to escape into an era of opulence as you build and customize your very own estate island. It's the perfect blend of challenge and relaxation that I find incredibly refreshing, especially after delving into the often intense themes of our podcast. For those of you who thrive on solving puzzles and uncovering stories, June's Journey offers a chance to channel your inner detective. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on ios and android step into june's shoes and help her solve the ultimate mystery can you uncover the truth behind her sister's tragic demise now let's dive back into our own mysterious journey here on obscura stay tuned and keep your wits about you with richard in the cockpit air traffic control was at least grateful that there were no passengers on board But this wasn't an incident due to an equipment malfunction. Authorities had little idea of how things would unfold. They were under pressure to get the aircraft back on the ground safely with no fatalities or casualties. The radio transmissions between Richard and air traffic control were broadcast on an open frequency. And as people began turning in, the audio was quickly posted to various social media platforms.
3: Everyone standing by for departure, just hold uh, hold on with me for a second.
1: you mm-hmm.
3: Right, zero, 070. Zero. Approach welcome, final runway 16 right. Four,
4: four, Man, I'm a ground service agent, I don't know what that is.
3: Clear to
2: Portland, Seattle, 6 is filed at 7,017. Clear for to
3: 416 right, 7,017. Four, started up and get it to go. Uh, a couple hours, I guess.
4: But, um, yeah, I wouldn't know how to land it. I wasn't really planning on landing it. 99, V Bravo, over to Rantfield, the opposite is off.
3: Knows how to fly one of those aircraft, but uh, we'll see what we can do and get you in contact with somebody.
1: Flights in and out of SeaTac Airport were temporarily suspended. Even though air traffic control had by now established contact with Richard, it was determined that it was necessary to intercept the aircraft for security reasons. Within minutes of the decision, the North American Aerospace Defense Command launched two McDonnell Douglas F 15 Eagle fighters. The F-15s belonged to Oregon Air National Guard's 142nd Fighter Wing and were scrambled from Portland Air National Guard Base. The F-15s made it to SeaTac from Portland in four minutes and would follow the Dash A 400 for the next 45 minutes in an attempt to divert it towards the Pacific Ocean. The Washington Post later reported that the F-15s were flying so close to Richard that they could make visual contact only 12 miles away at Safeco Field. Tens of thousands of people were attending a sold-out Pearl Jam concert. Authorities had no idea of Richard's intentions. Listener, the audio you're about to hear are excerpts of the conversation between Richard, SeaTac Air Control, and a pilot which were recorded while he was in the air. The other voices you'll hear interjecting during the audio are brief transmissions between confused pilots both flying into... And waiting to depart from SeaTac. And Air Control were also trying to make sense of what was going on.
2: Alrighty, um, yeah, I just kind of want to do a couple maneuvers, see what it can do before
3: I put her down, you know? Departure, Boeing 464. And so I can uh, reach out to you a little easier. A little bit. I'm sorry, say that again.
2: Sorry, uh, my mic came off, I threw up a little bit. Uh,. You know, I, uh, hold on. oh, shoot, man, I'm sorry about this. I hope this doesn't ruin your day.
3: 22, Crossrail 6, left contact. Yep. Just flying the plane around. you seem comfortable with that?
2: Oh, hell yeah, it's a blast, man. i played video games before, so I, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing a little bit.
3: Okay, and, uh. And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything?
2: No, nah, everything's peachy. Peachy clean. Just did a little circle around Rainier. It's beautiful. Um, I think I got some gas to go check out uh, the Olympics. And, uh, yeah.
1: In this last comment, Richard is referencing the Olympic Mountains, a mountain range situated approximately 100 miles from SeaTac Airport. Okay, and uh,
3: Rich, do you know, uh, are you able to tell what altitude you're at? We one six left, iconic tower for your landing clearance.
2: I threw up all inside of it, it's bad.
3: You'll be released when you, when you taxi out. American 600.
2: fast exactly. join. I was thinking about it, and then, uh, probably a good thing I didn't.
3: Four, nine, Mexico four. Mexico, 494 minor tower, one. Tower, join up, up.
2: Yeah, that's all, mumbo, jo- I have no idea what all that means. I wouldn't know how to, uh, Punch it in. I'm,
3: I'm uh, off autopilot. Okay. See ya. Make a right turn on Bravo Five Thousand Five Hundred. me yeah. to the jets? No, I'm not taking you to any jets. I'm actually keeping you away from aircraft that are trying to land at SeaTac.
2: Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to screw with that. I'm glad, uh, glad you're not, uh, you know, screwing up everyone else's day on account of me
3: all the traffic in front of you make sure the day to chain up around on to, uh, alpha we're going to keep the goal clear this runway first four four six can we just shut down
2: i'm uh i'm down to 2100 i started at like 30 something
3: rich you said you're at uh, two thousand one hundred pounds of fuel left
2: yeah uh i don't know what the burn burn edge burnout is like on uh, uh on takeoff, but, uh, yeah, it burned quite a bit faster than I expected.
1: Okay. Air traffic control suggested that Richard land the plane at Joint Base Lewis, which was a military base, but he refused.
3: There is the, uh, the runway just off your right side in about a mile. Do you see that? That's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's McCord, uh, Field.
2: Oh, man, those guys would rough me up if I, uh, tried landing there. I think I'd I think i might mess something up there too i wouldn't want to do that uh hopefully oh they probably got anti-aircraft
3: no they don't have any of that stuff uh we're just trying to find a place for you to land safely
2: yeah not quite ready to bring it down just yet but holy smokes i gotta i gotta stop looking at the fuel because it's going down quick
3: okay rich uh, if you could could you start a left-hand turn and uh, we'll, we'll take you down to the uh, southeast, please.
2: This is probably uh, like jail time for life, huh? I mean, I would hope it is for a guy like
3: me. Well, Richard, we're not, we're not going to worry or think about that, but could you start a left-hand turn, please? 2, horizon, right 22. 2, thank you. And uh, he's going to try and help you out here a little bit, okay? 9 or zero. Retro netting at zero seven zero. And I think you might have some questions. Rich, uh, I've got a pilot on with us. And uh, if you got any questions, you can ask him now.
2: Hey, uh, well, first off, you're a
3: little,
2: little breaking up a bit. Um, maybe I'm too far away. What's the distance on his frequency?
3: 5261 right, so Heavy uh, Roger. Might be a little bit before he's just fine for now, thanks. Well,
2: this. You are, uh, very calm, collect, poised.
3: Seem on runway 16 center. Okay, uh, crossing one Six center, hold short one Six left, Alaska, Five Eighty Zero, descend to me like that in about two to three miles. Four hundred. apparently the, uh, a grounds crewman <laughs> with, uh, with the I guess. Okay. And, uh... Okay,
0: thank
3: Right now he's just flying around. Okay. And, uh, he just needs some help controlling his aircraft.
2: Very good. Nah, you know, I, I mean, I don't need that much help. i played some video games before. Uh, I would like to figure out how to get this cabin out altitude. Like, I know where the box is. I would like to get some, uh, make it, make it pressurized or something so I'm not so lightheaded.
1: Meanwhile, other flights in the SeaTac area were delayed by air traffic control, having to contend with the rogue pilot. While the fuel in the aircraft would eventually run out, no one knew whether Richard would land the plane or wait until he didn't have a choice. Uh, do you know how long it's gonna be? No idea.
3: We have no idea right now. So if you just hold on alpha, all those aircraft were um, in sequence, so we'll get you going as soon as we know. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, I don't know
2: anything uh, I don't know anything about the autopilot. I'm just kinda hand flying right now. Okay. You know how fast you're going?
3: That's still hold behind uh uh, yeah. That's twenty twenty
2: one. Uh, minimum wage. We'll, we'll, uh, chalk it up to that. So maybe that'll, uh, grease the gears a little bit with the higher up. Maybe,
3: uh, yeah. yeah I, 56, Good.
2: I think I lost you buying some hills a little bit. I'm coming back though.
0: 718, I believe so. Uh, still working on an issue. Um, I don't really have an estimate on how long that may be. Okay. Thank
3: you. One-six left, American. Seven, Alaska, 691. Damn
0: it, Andrew!
2: People's lives are at stake here!
3: Nah, Rich, don't, don't say stuff like that.
2: Nah, I, told you, I'm not, I don't want to hurt one. I just want you to whisper sweet nothings into my ear.
3: And uh, 600, uh, Roger. Uh, it's going to be a while well before we can get into uh, cargo.
2: That'd be better than uh trying to land
3: it. Like, I know how to put the landing gear down. 7,000. Expect play level 410
1: air traffic control arranged for a pilot to talk richard through the steps for engaging the landing gear and using the autopilot
4: put your uh, your power that's probably 50 percent that'd be the two top gauges right in the center on that glass uh, display there and then press uh well tell me uh do your power at 50 percent, or tell me what you got
2: yeah i got it like quite idle
4: well, that's too slow. Bring it up to like fifty. Any of you browser, Durant have a 28
3: two? Visual 16, right?
4: right now. All right, no problem. because
3: I uh, just want to know if we can, uh, you know, do a water service for the passengers back here. Uh, 4,000. Mm-hmm. So that's Actually, i or about 3,000. Advise to to
4: mm-hmm. the side. side on the bottom. It says HDG, and it's got a little blue uh, M on it. You can crank that around and. uh and, uh, you know, i tell you what, let's just do the, um, push, you see the HDD, HDG button, uh, right by that little thumb wheel?
3: I'm pop across one, six across one. What's all the
4: airplanes doing on alpha? It's in the maintain 8000. Plus 420. No, you can do that with these things.
2: Uh, so uh, what would, if you were to do it, how would you do it?
4: Well, I'd try to figure out how to use the autopilot first.
3: On the uh, Roger text spot, uh, eighty eight via problem, tiny crane. Eighty eight and we no ramping at twenty
4: Not concentrate so much on flying the airplane. Hey, you think about land this successfully,
2: uh Labs will give me a job as a pilot?
4: Uh, you know, I think it would give you a job of doing anything if you could pull this off.
2: Yeah, right. Now nah, I'm a white guy, eh?
3: final, contact point, down one, two, zero, one, six. Okay, we'll do that with the and we're going to go to the top. Talking to that aircraft at this time, uh, if they need your assistance, I will. Uh, I will let you know. But they are talking to that aircraft right now. Roger. Tony Samulis.
2: Yeah, you do, you man. Hey, hey, F-A, you guy, Andrew. On...
1: Partway through the conversation, Richard referenced a recent news item about a female killer whale, known as J thirty five or Taliqua. Part of the southern resident community of killer whales in the northeastern Pacific Ocean, during the summer of 2018, Taliqua gave birth to a female calf that only survived for half an hour. Instead of leaving the body of her calf to be consumed by the ocean, Taliqua carried her dead and decaying calf on her head for 17 days and 1,000 miles. As the pod made their way around the San Juan Islands and the interior waters of British Columbia, The phenomenon attracted national and international attention in response to Taliqua's apparent display of grief in not letting go of her calf. Eventually, the strain started to show, and with the calf in an advanced state of decomposition, Taliqua finally let go. For another week, other members of the pod took turns carrying the calf.
2: Hey, I want the coordinates of that orca with the, you know, the mama orca with the baby. I want to go see that guy.
3: 285 and we want to strike for the land. Behind you, there is another aircraft. Would you be willing to talk to them if they're on the frequency, and maybe they can help you land? Six. Uh, let me check for you. Hang on. That's right. Dude. It's up to you guys, but we got one going just in case. Okay, thank you. Back into the water.
2: Hey, what's the what's that airport right there behind me, like to my left?
3: Okay, Rich. Well, first of all, we we just need you to keep flying the aircraft. And so if you could just stay there and keep flying the aircraft. The, air, the, uh, the airport you just passed over on your left, that's the uh, Tacoma Narrows Airport. I mean, that's also an option if you wanted to try going there. But uh, like I said earlier, McCord, that's a, that's a bigger runway if you wanted to try to land there. 446, we're going to go ahead and shut down. Okay. Oh, that's disgusting.
4: One second. Hey Rich, this is Captain Bill here. We're still uh, listening. My airplane's doing uh, just fine. How's yours? Line
3: 285 left to November, hold short of runway 1. I said it would be a better option, I think, if you tried to land it or even land it on the water.
2: Yeah. Hey, is that pilot on? I want to know uh, what this weather's going to be like in the Olympics.
4: Well, uh, if you can see the Olympics, the weather's good. I can see the Olympics through my window and it looks pretty good over there.
2: All uh, right, because I, I hit some, uh, felt like turbulence around right near, but there's no clouds hardly. Uh,
4: that's just the, uh, the wind blown over all the bumpy surfaces there.
1: Towards the end of the flight, video footage was recorded of the aircraft performing aerobatic maneuvers over Puget Sound, twisting, turning, diving, and pulling up just above the water. Just like the audio between Richard and air traffic control at SeaTac, the footage was soon posted on several social media sites.
4: That is not a drone. That is a real
1: plane. <laughs> it just did a loop-de-loop. Loop. Oh, and there's like a jet. A fighter that's
0: a, no, that's a, jet. a fighter jet. Yeah, that's a a jet. Fighter jet.
1: Before communication with the tower ended, Richard's tone, which up until then had been upbeat and jovial, turned melancholy. He apologized to his friends and family. He also alluded to a possible explanation for his out-of-character behavior.
2: I got a lot of people that care about me and uh, it's gonna disappoint them to hear that I did this. Um, I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. Um, Just a broken guy Got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it <laughs> until now. Um, just, you know.
3: I going to uh, come in here and start talking to Rich as well.
2: Man, have you been to the Olympics? These guys are gorgeous. Holy smokes.
3: Yeah, I have been out there. It's 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 always a nice drive. But I think I'm going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I bet you do. I haven't done much hiking over there, and uh, but if you could, if you could start a left turn and uh, turn back towards the east, I know you're getting a good view there. But uh, if you go too much further in that direction, I won't be able to hear you anymore.
2: All right. Uh, hey, pilot guy, can this thing do a, uh, a backflip? You think? I'm gonna land it up like. Uh in a safe, safe kind of manner. I think, I'm, uh, I think I'm gonna try to do a barrel roll, and if that goes good, I'll just go nose down and call it a night.
4: Well, Rich, before you do that, uh, let's think about this. I got another uh, pilot coming up, Pilot Joel here in just a minute or two, I hope. And uh, we'll be able to give you some advice on what to do next. Uh, we call it a bug. It's uh, like a little blue rectangle. It's just somewhere around the compass. Do you see that?
2: Um, just kind of lightheaded is the, um, man, and, you know, the sights went by so fast, too. I was thinking, like, I'm gonna have this moment of serenity, you know, be able to take all, in all the sights. Uh, there's a lot of pretty stuff, but, uh,
1: I think they're prettier in a different context. The last thing anyone wanted was Richard to lose consciousness, and it was concerning that he reported feeling dizzy and lightheaded. Air traffic control talked Richard through how to turn on the bleed air switches. These switches supply air to the air conditioning packs that are used to pressurize an aircraft cabin. It was important that these were on, because if they weren't, the cabin would not pressurize.
3: And do you have an idea of how much fuel you have left?
2: Uh, man, not enough. Not enough to get by, uh, like, uh, 760, pounds. I'm just gonna do this barrel roll real quick.
3: Uh, well, no need to do that. If you could just start a turn to the right, and then I'll tell you when to stop turning, and then you can keep it level from there.
2: I feel like I need to be, what do you think, like 5,000 feet at least to be able to pull this barrel roll off?
3: You get hurt either. Uh, if you could... I see you're still turning to the right. you want to maybe start making a turn back to the left a little bit?
1: The Seattle Times reported that one retired Horizon Air employee who was looking out on the Tacoma Narrows Bridge from the deck of his cousin's home saw the plane dive towards the water. The witness told the newspaper, We were all screaming. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I was yelling, Pull up. Pull up. Thankfully, the aircraft seemed to pull up out of the dive at the last minute. Sky News reported that at the same time, another witness filmed the aircraft performing a large loop-de-loop. The witness told CNN that at the aircraft's lowest point, it was no more than 100 feet above the water, saying, I started to capture the video just because I thought it was kind of bizarre. The plane did a complete loop. I couldn't believe he recovered. He then pulled pretty much straight up and kind of at an angle. Somehow... He got it leveled back off and then made his way down toward the island. Air traffic control again tried to convince Richard to land the plane.
4: All right, Rich, this is Captain Bill. Congratulations. You uh, did that. Now let's uh, let's try to land that airplane safely and not hurt anybody on the ground.
2: All right. Now, nah, damn it. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't want to. I was kind of hoping that was going to be it, you know. After long, I feel like one of my engines is going
3: out or something. Okay, Rich, uh, if you could, you just want to keep that plane right over the water, maybe keep the aircraft nice and low?
1: Approximately 75 minutes after takeoff, a towboat operator who was out in the water near DuPont saw the aircraft fly overhead, pursued by the F-15s. The man reported hearing a loud bang and seeing black smoke drifting upward from a nearby island. The Dash 8Q400 had crashed at the southern tip of the heavily wooded and largely unpopulated Ketron Island in Puget Sound. The island was only 40 miles southwest of the SeaTac Airport, but the crash ignited a fire that covered a two-acre area.
0: Federal investigators are hoping the recovery of those black boxes give them a better understanding into what led this plane to crash into a nearby island here in the Puget Sound. They're also hoping to get an idea of what motivated this airline ground worker to steal this plane and fly off in the first place. Now, as you take a look at this picture, this is the man, FBI have surrounded their investigation around 29-year-old Richard Russell. He worked for Horizon Air for more than three years in a role where he loaded and unloaded bags and helped guide planes to and from gates. We know he used a tractor to help back out the plane, a Q400 turboprop plane.
1: Part 4, going to ground. According to 770 KTTH Radio, the towboat operator radioed the Coast Guard to report the remote location of the crash. The man made his way to Ketron Island, where he started alerting the less than 20 residents of the island that a fire had started burning at the crash site. When the first responders arrived at the island, their access to the crash site was delayed due to having to wait to catch the Stillicum anderson Island Ferry. Fortunately, a lack of wind and dry brush on the island meant that the fire failed to spread or cause any significant damage. After 12 hours of tireless efforts from firefighters, by the following morning, the fire was extinguished. With the fire extinguished, air crash investigators worked to recover the black box and cockpit voice recorders. The wings of the aircraft had been sheared off as a result of the impact and fuselage, was resting upside down. By the time normal operations had resumed at SeaTac Airport, About 75 flights had been delayed, and 40 planes were waiting at the gates. Not everyone who knew Richard had heard the news the previous evening. The Anchorage Daily News reported that it wasn't until the following day that one of Richard's childhood friends heard what happened. At first, when the friend heard the audio clip of Richard talking to air traffic control, he assumed it was a prank. Richard had such a great sense of humor that it sounded like something he'd pull off. But the devastating truth of what had actually happened soon set in. Everyone was trying to make sense of what had transpired. The day following Richard's death, his family released a statement saying, "'We are stunned and heartbroken. It may seem difficult for those watching at home to believe, but Bebo was a warm, compassionate man. He was a faithful husband, a loving son, and a good friend. A childhood friend remarked that Bebo was loved by everyone.' because he was kind and gentle to each person he met. This is a complete shock to us. We are devastated by these events, and Jesus is truly the only one holding this family together right now. Without him, we would be hopeless. As the voice recordings show, Bebo's intent was not to harm anyone, and he was right in saying that there are so many people who loved him. The family friend who delivered the statement to the media was just as dumbfounded as everyone else. The Anchorage Daily News reported that the man's son had been a childhood friend of Richard's in Alaska, and even though Richard had only spoken to his friend a week before the crash, he was at a loss to explain what could have led to a decision that had such drastic consequences. Even though there were no answers as to why Richard had crashed the plane, it was later revealed that on the day of the crash, his family was on his mind. At around 4pm, some hours before he took off, he sent his mother a text message asking for the password to our Amazon online shopping account. As a surprise, he ordered a children's picture book entitled The Angel and the Soldier Boy, which was later believed to be a gift for his niece. The CEO of Horizon Air explained that the usual protocol for takeoff was for pilots to request clearance for pushback from the tower or ground control. He was just as confused as anyone else, describing Richard's aerial maneuvers as incredible but was at a loss to explain how Richard had gained the level of experience necessary to execute them. One pilot who spoke to the Daily Beast website about Richard's maneuvers said, Both his loop and his roll seemed pretty well executed, without either stalling or pulling the wings off. This comment made reference to the fact that Richard performed aerobatic maneuvers that a commercial aircraft isn't designed to do, and if performed without skill, can result in an aircraft breaking up in mid-air. The Pierce County Sheriff's Office thanked the public for accurate information it provided. The County Sheriff later told reporters it appeared to be a joyride gone terribly wrong, saying, Most terrorists don't do loops over the water. In a media statement, it was announced that Richard was suicidal and said his actions were not that of a domestic terrorist incident. A month after the crash, the Seattle Times newspaper reported that the day after the incident, a pilot for SkyWest Airlines contacted emergency dispatchers in Pierce County with information. The pilot had recognized Richard's photos from news coverage of the incident and reported his concerns to SkyWest.
0: Communications, how may I help you? Yeah, hey, my name is Joel Monty and uh,
1: I'm a pilot with
0: SkyWest Airlines. And, um, I got some information. Uh, I don't know if I should report it to you guys or who about this uh, um recent uh, plane hijacking out know, uh, of Okay. What type of information do you have? Yeah, hey, this guy uh, was in my cockpit, you know, um, on at least one occasion um, asking you know, questions, wanting to watch me do my flows, uh, which is a pre-flight uh, preparation uh, that I do before um, uh, takeoff. And um, <clears throat> on another occasion... I actually confronted him in another um, unoccupied airplane with another guy uh, in the cockpit with him, and they were um, looked like they were pointing and flipping maybe switches and whatnot in the airplane. And mm-hmm. um, um, and I went over and confronted them, and I said, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" And because this is a SkyWest-owned airplane, but those are ground handled by um, Horizon uh, Ground Services. Okay. And, so anyway, um, he said that at that time they were like, "Oh, just talking about how to turn on the APU to um, so that they could tow the airplane." I thought it was unusual, and um, but I really didn't have a point. To, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what their procedures are or whatever uh-huh. on that side. But um, they kind of um, they kind of um, uh, made. Uh, they, they kind of started to get up and then leave the airplane, you know, when I confronted them, so. Sure, Um okay. And that, that, was, that was kind of suspicious. And that was about a, about a year ago uh, that that happened. So th- I don't think it's this thing with this guy is, like, a plot that this dude just came up with, like, overnight, you know. I think mm-hmm. that he's actually, or the air, the type of airplane that this guy's, not I the Uh, Embraer 175 jet, um, which is ground-handled by, like I said, Horizon, and Horizon actually owns some of them as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that maybe this guy had been thinking about doing this for a long time, and then um, maybe the Q400 that he took was just an airplane of opportunity.
1: As you heard in the recording, the pilot reported that another ground service agent was also in the cockpit. Touching various switches on the control panel, the pilot knew this was highly out of the ordinary, and when he asked the men what they were up to, they told him they were training to use the aircraft's auxiliary power unit in order to tow it. Richard and his companions soon left the area, and even though the pilot felt something was off about the situation, he didn't report it, telling the Seattle Times, "...it's kind of a delicate issue." We don't have a specific security mandate saying those with clearance can't be in a plane's cockpit, and if these were really legitimate guys and they're authorized to be there, I would potentially be creating an abrasive situation. The pilot also expressed his puzzlement that none of the authorities involved in the investigation of the incident had contacted him. Despite the information he provided the day following Richard's death, saying, I think this episode speaks to a bigger security problem for the industry as a whole. What's to keep a terrorist from gaining a security clearance under the veil of airline employment and hijacking an airplane? Among the recordings obtained by the Seattle Times under the Public Records Act were a firefighter's radio transmissions from the crash site, who informed dispatch that at least one of the aircraft's flight recorders appeared to be destroyed or missing. Three months after the crash, on November 9th, the FBI announced that the investigation into the incident had been completed. The agency had considered information from a review of both the aircraft's flight data recorder and cockpit voice recorder. The determination at the conclusion of the investigation was that Richard intentionally crashed the aircraft. As Richard was solely responsible for the planning and execution of the incident, the FBI would not be pursuing federal charges. No information was uncovered as to whether Richard ever received any formal or informal flight training. However... They did learn that Richard's internet browser history revealed that he had performed searches for instructional flight videos. Richard's loss continues to be felt by his family and friends. His warmth, kindness, and compassion is what those closest to him remember fondly. On what would have been his 30th birthday, his mother posted a photo of the pair in a bear hug with the message, 30 years ago today, A burst of sunshine entered my life, and he shared his light with each and every one of us, each and every day. And then, just like that, the light was gone. My life will never be the same. As a tribute to his love of travel, Richard's family has scattered his ashes at locations across Europe and Alaska. Listener, if anything in today's story has raised any issues for you, or if someone you know needs help, You can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in the United States at 1-800-273-TALK for confidential support. That's 1-800-273-TALK. For a list of contact numbers for outside the U.S., please see the show notes for this episode on your podcatcher. I think that about wraps things up. Thank you for listening, and keep the fire burning. Stereo is the app for live social conversations, and we want to talk directly with you, our listeners. You can join our show, ask questions about true crime, and share your experiences and opinions. We want to hear everything. Download now and join us live this week. Link to our show in the description.